The facts. In a talent market that is more competitive and less understood than any other time in history, it's the facts that matter. Welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that delivers the facts, the latest research and data on the key issues and opportunities facing talent acquisition and HR professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that focuses on the facts in talent acquisition. I'm Peter Weddle, the CEO of TA Tech. And I'm Shalia Gray, the Global Head of Talent Acquisition for Quadiant. And between the two of us, we're going to take a look at a fascinating report today, the 25th Annual HR Systems Survey from sapientinsights.com. But first, I'd like to let you hear from our sponsor. Acquire is a brand new solution that's just been released by Kilo, an established recruitment marketing and technology agency. Here's how it describes Acquire. Acquire is programmatic jobs distribution with easy apply. It's been developed to address the shortcomings and pain points within the programmatic recruitment marketing space. By building a modern platform with true campaign management capabilities, we're changing the game in programmatic technology. What does that mean? Well, first, our technology uses real-time data and machine learning to optimize performance and control spend, maximizing your ROI. Second, we set up your jobs on quick apply, even when it hasn't been adopted in the past. With our software, you can add quick apply to all, some, or none of your jobs. And third, we provide a customizable dashboard that gives you the ability to manage your campaigns and quickly access data from multiple sources. So say goodbye to logging on to different platform accounts to manage your jobs and candidates and say hello to Acquire's one-stop shop. Visit us at acquireroi.com. Again, that's acquireroi.com. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, we're going to focus on this report that is the 25th annual edition uh, of, a, of a survey that's been done of HR systems. And it's, its author is Stacy Harris uh, at Sapient Insights. Uh, I got to tell you, th- this survey has astonishing reach. Uh, it had responses from 2,515 organizations in 65 com- uh, countries. Uh, the top five industries that were represented were professional services, healthcare, manufacturing, financial services, and retail wholesale. Of the participating organizations, 41% had fewer than 500 employees. So they were the largest single cohort in the study. 33% had 500 to 4,000 999 employees. They were the next largest cohort. And finally, the companies with more than 5,000 employees represented 26% of the survey. Now, this survey covers all aspects of AR. It's very comprehensive. But, you know, this is a, this is a podcast all about talent technology. So we're going to limit our discussion to the points they make uh, in the report about recruiting. So here's finding number one. The big guys are doubling down. 
you know, there's been a lot of gloomy business news uh, lately for many sectors in the economy. But the larger respondents to the survey were bullish on acquiring new HR technology. Smaller employers, however, not so much. Although it's not clear from the survey report whether that more conservative approach was due to risk aversion or budget constraints or something else altogether. Anyway, here are the facts in the report. More than half of the employers with 500 or more employees said they plan to increase their HR tech spending in 2022 to 2023 in that two-year time period. Uh, and that's despite you know the headwinds that we're seeing in the economy. It was 55% for companies with more than 5,000 employees and just a tick below 54% for those with 500 to 4,999 employees. Uh, but as I said earlier, among employers with 500 or fewer employees, the bad news is that only 35% plan to increase their spending. But there is some good news. The good news is that over half, 57%, plan to stick to their current pace of tech acquisition. In fact, only 8% plan to decrease it. So those are pretty heady numbers, Shalia, uh, you know, especially in comparison to what's happened in past economic downturns. Uh, what do you think's behind this bullishness? Are, are employers smarter about the importance of acquiring and developing their human capital, or is something else more pedestrian, like keeping up with the Joneses here at play? I actually think it's, it's, the, it's the talent market. I mean, we've all been experiencing talent shortages uh, lengthy talent shortages, critical skills. I think, you know, they're making an investment in, in the company and they've realized that the talent piece is the is the place to start. But I'd be very interested, given how our economies, you know, move so quickly. Right now, so many organizations are going through but budget tightening, layoffs, restructurings. I'd be very interested to see if they revalidate that study right now, if people are willing to outlay any additional dollars. Uh, you know, I think the, you know, the one thing I love about TA is we move at the speed of the market. And I think earlier this year, people really saw it. Uh, we've talked about this before, doing COVID, virtual interviews, you know, chat bots, all those things have now come on the radar because those are kind of the, the table stakes for working remotely now and engaging with candidates. So I think everybody's trying to step up to to the bar but um, and, 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 and invest when they have not invested in years. I think many people would say their biggest investment was an ATS. You know, that was that was their investment. They didn't do a CRM. You know, they didn't they didn't invest in, you know, in, in video interview. And they said, let's just jump on Zoom or, or Teams. Uh, I think now people are understanding that they have to do an investment there. But I would just question if you were to repoll those people right now, if those dollars would still be earmarked for the same stuff. Well, you know, I think. Uh, as is always the case, we talk ourselves into boxes often uh, in the business space. Julia Polak, who is the chief economist for ZipRecruiter, made an interesting post on LinkedIn. Um, and she was looking at the latest JOLTS report from the Department of Labor, which was, was released just yesterday. Uh, and she pointed out that in the five months prior to the pandemic, layoffs averaged 1.9 million people per month. 
in the past six months, they've averaged 1.4 million per month. So, so there's a 500,000 uh, delta in the positive uh, in terms of layoffs. So despite all the news, her point is uh, that by historical standards, you know, we're nowhere near where uh, layoffs have been in the past. Well, but here's why I question those numbers, because if you remember, you have to have 50 or more people in a location to 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 signal the Warren Act. Right. So that makes it public. All of these we there are quite a few startups and companies that are in that smaller space that probably fall below that, that don't report their layoffs and terminations. So I, I would question if there, and I believe that there's many more startups than it used to be. I would question if that number is is as real as it, as, as she thinks it is. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because, the, because I see all the big ones. You know, I saw last week Cisco. I see the big ones. But then I'm on calls with people who are small. These are the people that are 1,000 employees. Most of them are working remotely. They're not in one location. And their layoffs are, are, are meaningful too, but they're quiet layoffs. So uh, you think we're going to see a reversion to uh, bad behavior, if you will, and and as the economy, if it continues to uh, slow down, uh, that that companies are going to discontinue these acquisition plans. Is that what you're saying? I think that what happens is certain projects get put on hold. You know, consulting services get put on hold. Projects that are not deemed as critical to the organization get put on hold. So, you know, I've talked to some friends where they've let some of their recruiters go. So organizations that are dealing with that or they're putting, you know, hiring on hold or freezing hiring, all those kind of things. I I can't see them going unless they've already signed contracts. Then I think that their technology with recruiting is also going to be on hold. You know, the irony is that as the pace of recruiting slows, that's the perfect time to bring technology in-house because recruiters finally have the time to get the training they need, to understand the change management involved, all of those complex issues that they don't have time to to really deal with adequately when they're going hell-bent to to fill uh, wrecks when the economy is strong. And, you know, I, I was ble- kind of blessed that in COVID, we had um, started our implementation of Workday, right? So my recruiting s- slowed down. So it was a great time to get my recruiters trained in Workday, figure out the configuration of the tool, because we weren't putting that many candidates in there at the time. It, it, was, a, it was a good time. And I think, you know, during COVID, many companies still had money, you know, still had money that you could have been done some investments back then and had the time to get it done. But you can be only be a Monday morning quarterback so many times on some of these things. Well, I think the one thing that has not changed is even with all of these layoffs, the reported ones and the unreported ones, companies are still struggling to fill a lot of positions. There's still this critical shortage uh, in a lot of categories and em- employers are going to have to keep working at it even during a period when there seems like when it seems like the job market is finally beginning to loosen up. Okay, so that's finding number one. The big guys are doubling down, maybe, (laughs) uh, as uh, Shalila would say. Okay, finding number two. There's a lot of acquisition reported by uh, these uh, HR organizations, and recruiting tops the chart 
for HR technology spending plans. It was the number one priority for all three organizational cohorts, small, midsize, and larger employers. And that finding, you know, just makes my heart sing because it aligns perfectly with the phrase I'm very fond of using around here, which is, you know, you can't manage the resources you don't have. So investing in talent technology is a smart business play, even in a hyper tight job market. So here are the facts from the report. The average projected increase in technology acquisition budgets for 2022 to 2023 is a whopping 21%. Uh, now, as you just pointed out, Shalia, that, that may or may not happen, but at least from the data when this report was uh, collected, the, when the data col was collected for this report, it was 21%. But there are at least two challenges associated with the increased investment, at least in the TA space. One is the recruiter gulp rate, and the other is implementation management. And so far, at least according to the report, it's not looking so good. Overall, the survey respondents reported a 6% decline in user experience ratings. So the people using the new technology uh, reported 6 a 6% decline in their satisfaction with what they were able to do with the tools and a 7% decline in vendor satisfaction ratings. And when they were asked why, 43% cited gaps in functionality and 41% cited gaps in reporting functionality. So I know you've had considerable success introducing new tech products. How do you, how do, you do that, Shalila? How do, you, how do you plan and execute your technology acquisition so you get the ROI you're looking for? Well, you know, it's a couple of things. You know, I've shared before that, you know, I'm not swayed by shiny objects. So when I look at the recruiting, my recruiting process, I look at where there are gaps and I look for opportunities where technology can be levered, leveraged to make something better or more efficient. Um, some there's technology for, for many, you know, many facets of the recruiting process, but the implementation time, the return on investment time, whatever. So that's the first piece out there. And I've found that there are very few pieces of technology now that are the only ones, you know, many years ago, there's only, you know, so many ATSs, there's only so many options of, you know, putting in a chat, but, but now there's, there's many options out there. Um, so I think you've got to pick your technology wisely. You got to ensure that it solves for something that you need to do. And you got to be able to figure out, you know, I came from the school. I, I worked at, you know, Allied Signal years ago. You know, what gets measured gets done. What gets measured, you know, is respected. And so you got to have some metrics with it. So I spend quite a bit of time, even when I'm checking my technology with the vendor, of looking at their business case of, of, of what it solves. And then I want to know from actual customers who've, who've adopted the technology, the return on investment, the return on investment in terms of the implementation time, in terms of the results, um, if they've had to bolt something else on because they haven't got to get it, all that thing, all those types of things. So I think when you are looking at technology, it's like looking at, you know, think about how much you spend on a car and uh, what you really need in a car and what you want in a car um, because you're going to have it for a while. 
the, the only difference is with technology, you also got to think about the implementation team and the maintenance piece. And so who's going to maintain it and who's going to implement it? So let, let's start at the beginning. Do you put together a team for uh, your acquisition? Do you, do you write a, typically write a formal RFP? And, and, and if so, does legal get involved? Does procurement get involved? How does, how does that all shake out? So it's a couple of things. So, you know, I consider myself as an internal consultant to the organization. So when then there's a need to leverage technology, I first create the business case for why technology in general needs to happen. Then at that point, and, and this is just me because I found that a lot of times procurement is just unfamiliar with the TA space. Years ago, I went and got um, certified from IAOP, which is the International Association of Outsourcing Professionals. Um, and so learned how to do the procurement part of it too. So once I once I get the business case uh, approved, then I go to the supplier market and I figure out who's available that can you know could possibly do it. Do conversations with them, which is a basically an RFI request for information. Um, so I tell them what I'm looking for, and then I ask them to tell me if they have it available and how their model is set up and what it can solve for. If at that point um, I can narrow it down, then I will work with my procurement group to do a request, a formal request for proposal. And that's when I bring stakeholders in for the review. So they may not review the actual RFP. They will be a part of the vendor selection process. Um, and they may also be a part of the reference checking part of the process. And then legal comes in with the contracting. Um, but I try to involve as many stakeholders as I can as I go through um, the whole process. Okay. So now you've selected uh, a product and you have signed a contract. How does does that same acquisition team become your implementation team or is it a different set of folks uh, involved? It depends on the, it depends on the product. So, you know, when we got Workday, Workday doesn't come with an implementation team. You have to get a third party. You know, you have to go to the market and there's, there's many of them out there, PwC, Mercer, there's many of them who are trained in that HCM implementation pieces. Um, I try to ask uh, about the implementation team in the deal. Because here's what I found out. Sometimes you get technology, the salespeople are not connected to the implementation people. So once you get into implementation, the salespeople say, that's not possible. Well, what do you mean it's not possible? I asked in the deal if it could be in multiple languages and if it could have this, this, and you're telling me it's just functionally not possible. And so now I usually ask that I want my implementation team introduced to me early in the process so I can ask them the relevant questions that I need. Um, but then when we move over to implementation, there's usually implementation on my side, a project team, uh, you know, IT, we have, you know, our securities review group, all that. They've done some of that in the RFP. But once we start, you know, coming in, they think about data privacy, all those kind of things. I bring them into the team for implementation. And then, you know, we do testing and all of that before we go live. What do you think is the is the hardest part of that whole process? Uh, is it, you know, getting the product integrated into the tech stack? Is it training for uh, recruiters and getting their buy-in? What, what, what is, it, you know, typically as you've done this over the years, what, what's been the biggest single point of, of friction? 
I'm going to say it, it just depends. So when stuff is relatively new, like I remember when I went from a scanning to an applicant tracking system, um, you know, to an ERP, you know, all the way up to the, the evolution from managers, that was a, it wasn't the technology. It was the fact that they were not getting paper resumes sent to them, emails sent to them, um, and they had to go into a tool. Even though over time, the tools have become tasks. So you don't have to live in a tool anymore. You just have to go and get a task. It shows up on your phone or whatever. That, that, that's a stickler because um, it's just change management. That's just change management. Um, that's been for recruiters sometimes having to do double work, like a CRM to them is double work. They sometimes they feel that way because you have in your applicant tracking system a catalog of all your candidates. Well, a CRM helps you with candidates that haven't applied. They're applicant, you know, they haven't applied yet. They're your interested people. And if you think about it in, in sales, they're your prospects. So, you know, that's sometimes hard for me, my teams, because they don't see why they have to use two tools to talk to candidates. You know, that 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 adoption. It's just easy for me to keep an Excel spreadsheet. Really? It's easy to keep an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> um, but it, but it, but if but if five of you talk to Bob. How does how what are you put in a SharePoint drive that you got this spreadsheet and now he's gonna go out there and sort and see if you've talked to Bob because he's talking to Bob, but um you know so sometimes it's the adoption sometimes it's the it's the IT team right because um you know when they go through an RFP sometimes they they are like you know sticklers on everything and I'm gonna tell you I and I've told I've told suppliers before I want you as a partner and I want you to understand. I don't feel like writing an RFP. I don't want to review an RFP. I know you don't want to respond to an RFP, uh, you know, because some of these are smaller companies. They don't have like teams to do this. You know, this is like, you know, a smaller organization. They're trying to get their foot in the door with new technology, whatever. And it takes time for them to write those RFPs. It takes time for them to participate in an RFP. And then, you know, and they, and they drag out several months before we select and everything. So I, so all of those to me can be, you know, uh, touch points of, of pain. All of them could be touch points of pain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so in other words, you're, you, what you would recommend is that whenever you get, uh, whenever you begin such a process, make sure you have a big box of band-aids because you're going to need it. Big right? box of band-aids. And, and I always tell, and I tell this to teams all over, be prepared to manage the whole process. If you get assistance from anybody internally, that is great. But assume that you are an orphan and you're the only one that wants this technology. You're the only one that's going to support this technology. And you are going to have to do some heavy lifting on the technology. And if you get assistance from other groups internally, then you can factor that in to make it easier, quicker, better, whatever. But just assume that you can't delegate when you're a process owner. Okay. Well, we've come to finding number three. And to me, this was the most shocking of the whole report. Uh, Basically, it is that too many companies are not providing business leaders with timely performance metrics. Um, you know, uh, the C-suite, and I'm guilty of this, the C-suite often gets blamed for being out of touch with regard to the changing dynamics among job seekers and out of date with regard to the state of the talent market. And, and you know, that's certainly true, uh, at least among some CEOs and CFOs. But in fairness... It's also the product of their being uninformed, at least in some organizations. I mean, let's face it. Those leaders don't know what they don't know. 
And in the absence of timely and relevant information, they're going to fall back on what they've always done in the past, you know, their experience, what they are comfortable with when they make decisions, rather than on what recruiters are actually seeing in the marketplace. Here are the facts from the report. Fewer than two-thirds of the responding organizations. Now, we're, remember, we're talking about 2,515 organizations, many of which have more than 500 employees. Fewer than two-thirds, just 60%, said they report on employee turnover and recruiting outcomes weekly. If I read the report correctly, of those organizations that provide no regular HR reports, 25% said they were, quote, viewed as having no credibility, end quote. <laughs> They're saying their organization was viewed as having no credibility. That To me, that's just hugely self-damning. And not a single respondent to this survey, 0%, said they included DE&I metrics in their business reports, despite all of the focus on that area over the past several years. So these data remind me of Walt Kelly's famous aphorism in his Pogo comic strip. We have met the enemy and he is us. I mean, what do you think is going on here, Shalila? How are HRTA leaders really unaware of the importance of keeping the boss informed? Are they afraid to, to speak truth to power? What's going on? Okay, I'm gonna say that I, I I don't believe that. Okay, so I'm gonna, a couple of things. One, um, we don't have uh, as a function, we don't have a set of core metrics, and and there's many times where the TA communities try to come up with that. ATA, um, ATAP. Um, came up a couple of years ago. I sat on their metrics group. We were come, trying to come up with some core metrics that we'd said that, you know, are, are key indicators of how performance is. But we don't have a set of we don't have a set of peer metrics that are, are, are across the board for all companies. That's the first thing. So what happens is, is what story does your organization want you to tell? Right. So do they want to know time to fill? Do they want to know quality of hire? Do they want to know candidate satisfaction? Do they want to know fill rates? It's whatever story they want to tell is why we are all very, very different. The next piece is, is getting the metrics out of our tools to tell that story sometimes is difficult. I'll give you an example. The ATS that I'm using now, you know, it wants to report in on starts. Well, you know, a start in the U.S. is to be two weeks later because from a higher date because of a um, background check. A start in Asia or the U.S., I mean, Asia or international, could be a three-month period. Why? Because of um, the transition period, right? ATS is created based on starts. So you may have to manually go in and figure out how to get higher date. So some of the metrics are not as clean in the system as, as whatever. The next piece is when our clients, a lot of times, this is my perspective, when they ask for metrics, they're not asking for metrics. They're asking for how did we do in relationship to others? Because if you give a manager, it took us 45 days on average to fill a rec. The next question they ask you, is that good? Does that mean anything? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, and I found very few companies are willing to, to invest in those tools, MC, talent neuron, you know, those benchmarks out there, Saratoga, that can give us those industry benchmarks. We have that for compensation and we have comp surveys, but when it comes to recruiting data, you got to pay for it, right? So that's the next piece. 
The third piece is for those of us who work very hard to do metrics, and I've done this several companies, try putting a return, your organization asked you for metrics at the senior level, put a return receipt on there and see when they click to open it. I had one organization, I clocked it, you know, we need metrics, TA, we don't know what's going on, more transparency. We worked for several months, worked with finance, put together all these metrics, whatever, to deliver to the organization at the senior level once a week. And on average, most senior leaders took them two to three weeks to click on it. Hmm. Interesting. So, so when I, so I hear all this, oh, we need to know this. Well, you know what? You should you should want to know when your house is on fire and some of the data we, we give you tells you your house is on fire, right? Tells you that our conversion rates of open jobs to closed is lagging, tells you that our compensation is lagging. Sometimes it tells you that our recruiters have too high a rec load to be able to do something, tells you that our, your managers are not being responsive and they're losing candidates, taking um, offer to accept ratios or, or low, you know, th there's some stuff in there that says your house is on fire. But when I hear that, I, I hear organizations saying they want it. I, I hear most of my peers saying they have some kind of metrics, but I don't think our managers know how to interpret it or understand it. And what does it mean? That's the next piece. What does it mean? Hmm. Interesting. Well, of course, it is possible if only, uh, you know, from a how are we doing perspective to look at trend lines up, down or sideways. That's that it, so that you don't necessarily have to compare yourself to the rest of the industry as you do with a comp survey. I completely understand that having been a partner in the Hay Group. But uh, I, I do think uh, that part of you know, and we've talked about this before, part of the mission for t the talent acquisition community um, is an educational one. You know, we, we have to uh, we have to make the C-suite aware that they do need to pay attention to this data. They need to click on that data every single the minute it comes in, just as they do with the sales sales forecasts and 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 other kinds of financial metrics. So. Absolutely. We create Tableau. We create, we use Tableau to create, you know, real time so you can do a drill down by manager, by location. The the other piece I would say is this. I always hear that TA doesn't deliver enough metrics. There's one metric that 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 I would ask to ask probably every recruiting person, is this the one thing you want? You know what that is? A workforce plan. <laughs> That's yeah. all we ask for is a workforce plan. Why? Because the workforce plan says, here's the resources I need to get, gather up for because we're going to, you know, we're going to go into this this situation. I need to know what skills you're looking for. I need to know if there's going to be retirements in certain jobs. I need to know what's on the bench. So I need to go proactively go after that. Right. I need to know what's budgeted this year. So I, I hear a lot of times organizations hammering, hammering, hammering TA for metrics, metrics, metrics. We ask for one metrics, one set of metrics. And I would tell you, if you ask nine out of 10 uh, TA leaders, do you get a headcount plan? Just a headcount, not even a workforce, a headcount plan. Most of them will say no, not unless I create it, which means what I do, which is go 12 months back and look at the trend analysis. And then from that year and also look at attrition and base it off of that. That's not a workforce plan. That's just a guesstimate, but it's an educated you know, directional guesstimate. So we would do more metrics if we got more data. Fair enough. 
Well, there you have it. And we have, as we typically do, run over once again on our allotted time. So very quickly, our next show is going to focus on the 2023 Talent Acquisition Research Report from Symphony Talent. And here's how Symphony Talent describes it. From candidate sourcing challenges to ineffective process that hinder recruitment and sudden shifts in hiring needs and priorities, the industry is learning and adapting to a new world of talent acquisition. Should be a fascinating show, and I hope you all will join us. Finally, uh, Shalila and I were very proud to learn that our Start Smart podcast ranks in the top 200 podcasts in our show category in Europe. So a big thank you to all our listeners out there and everywhere else. Please keep coming back for more food for thought on the facts in talent acquisition. You can listen directly at tatech.org forward slash start dash smart or download the show from Spotify or Apple and Google podcasts. Thanks very much. See you next show. That concludes this episode of Start Smart. Thanks very much for joining us and come back for our next episodes on the latest research that will help you shape your talent acquisition with the facts. See you then.